0: Welcome to Free For All Fridays on the iHeart Radio Talk Network. Good afternoon. I'm Deb Hutton your host for Free For All Fridays. It's an opportunity over the next hour for us to spend some time drilling down on some of the week's biggest stories, sometimes the day's biggest stories and we'll have one of those for you this afternoon. And joining me to do that today is Al Farabi, morning show host on CFAX 1070 Radio in Victoria BC. Welcome to Free For All Friday, Al.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. And Natasha Hall, co-host of Montreal Now on CJAD 800 in Montreal. Welcome to Free For All Friday, Natasha. Great to be with you. So now everybody's got to know the first topic we're going to talk about is the federal inquiry into the use of the Government's Emergencies Act. And in particular, although we will talk a little bit about some testimony this morning, in particular we're going to talk about the fact that Premier Doug Ford here in Ontario and his then Solicitor General Sylvia Jones have been summoned to appear and have decided to fight that summons. Now neither of you are in Ontario, so I am really curious to get your perspective. I'll start with you, Al. Hmm. Big deal, not big deal, should appear, shouldn't appear. What's your take on this?
1: I think everybody should appear. I think uh, there's accountability that, need, that needs to be public. I think uh, Ontarios Ontarians need to know the answers. I think Canadians do too. When it comes to a situation like what happened in Ottawa, I, I just recall in B.C. when something similar was happening at the B.C. legislature and there were protests and there were trucks and there were cars and there was threats of of people staying and camping and staying for a long period of time and all along all the different stakeholders that i talked to from the city of victoria to the bc government to the bc legislature security to victoria police the one common thread they all told me is they were all talking to each other about a game plan as to how to deal with it so even though they had some problems and they had some honking horns and demonstration after demonstration, weekend after weekend, they didn't have things like overnight camping. They didn't have the problems they had that were created in, in Ottawa. And I think that's just because they had a game plan. They had a game plan that they implemented And they were talking to each other. Even the things that are happening here in Victoria right now, we're dealing with like a lot of cities are with public safety and increased crime. Our police chief comes out and says, we're not going to solve this unless everybody comes to the table and works together to solve it. So I think that's what needs to play out is, is, you know, who was talking to what, or maybe in this case, who wasn't in Ottawa and, and finding out the answers and then learning from that and not doing that ever again.
0: Well, and I do want to talk specifically uh, on the policing side in a few moments about uh, former police chief out of Ottawa, um, Slowly's comments, because he did appear finally before the commission this morning. But uh, let's hear what Doug Ford said when he was asked about why he's not appearing in the Ontario legislature earlier this week. This is a federal inquiry
2: into the federal government's use of the Federal Emergencies Act. From day one, Mr. Speaker, for Ontario, this was a a policing matter. It was not a political matter. And the opposition knows, Mr. Speaker, politicians don't direct the police.
0: He went on to say this about his officials.
2: Top officials from the OPP that were running the operation in conjunction with the municipal police agencies and the RCMP are testifying at the committee.
0: Natasha Hall, is there any validity to the to the Premier of Ontario's statement that this is a federal act, federal decision, federal inquiry? Nope.
2: He knows what his job is, right? <laughs> he, he does know he's the premier of Ontario. Doug Ford bugs me. He just bugs me in general. And so I come at this with a, a jaded perspective already. But buddy, just testify. It makes it so much worse. I I get okay obviously this has been a failure on many levels it was you know as i'll point out just a huge communication failure right people weren't communicating there were assumptions were made everybody was waiting for someone else to do something right everyone thought it was up to somebody else to do something and then it never got done um but doug ford sort of just saying hey not my problem not i no no i have nothing to do with this it makes it so much worse if you've got nothing to hide speak your truth. I I thought immediately of something that Tom Mulcair says often on our show, which is, um, and he's probably said it to you, Deb, which is that if you're explaining, you're losing. And so, you know, I feel like the minute you start to explain why you're not appearing, we're all suspicious. We're like, well, what are you trying to hide? Just come forth, say what you have to say, and we'll move on. But when you say, oh, no, no, not me. Oh, look at him, talk to him. They've got stuff to say. Immediately, we're more, more, more suspicious, aren't we?
0: Yeah. And, and listen, I think on a, on a pure political level, I actually think it would be smart for the premier of Ontario to appear because I think it's actually a good, a good venue for him. Uh, you know, he's very plain spoken. You may not like him, Natasha, but he's very plain spoken and certainly was very popular during, uh, this period of time here in the province. I guess, uh, I do, I, I do wonder though, from a Uh, non-political perspective, from more of a legal perspective, if there's any validity in the notion of parliamentary privilege and not wanting to set a legal precedent by appearing and also not wanting to be scapegoated by other levels of government or the police. Thoughts on that, Natasha?
2: But there are no consequences here. It's not like we're trying to find out who's guilty and, and truly hold anybody accountable. We're just trying to figure out where we blew it and how to do better next time. And so why would you not want to be part of that process? I can't speak to the legality. I don't know about that. I, I, you know, we did have people on saying baloney that that he absolutely should be testifying and he can't just try to say it's federal jurisdiction, has nothing to do with me. But I just don't understand not having the volition. Like, why would you not want to be part of trying to solve a problem so that what happened and what went so terribly wrong this time doesn't happen to your citizens again?
0: Well, and at the risk of prejudging, it does feel to me that certainly over the course of what we're at the end of two full weeks and, and a few days, so at the end of sort of the third technical week of this inquiry, maybe at our halfway point, give or take, we're getting a real sense of confusion amongst the police forces, both in terms of intelligence, operations, planning, all of those things. Let's listen to former Ottawa Police Chief Peter Slowly uh,
1: today uh, at the inquiry. I'm certain that by the 25th of January, we were into the cycle of briefings where this is a three, four day event, mainly the Saturday, Sunday.
0: He said he expected a few stragglers to be hanging around longer, but you know, to this day, he's not seen any intelligence that would suggest it would go on for weeks.
1: Assuming that even on the 28th, Commissioner, that we decided to lock down the city, we would have needed, in Deputy Chief Bell's uh, estimation, 2,000 officers. I think it would have actually been more, even if that was our wish. On the 28th of January, we were not going to get 2,000 extra officers into the city and deployed on a plan that could execute and implement anything that relates to this.
0: So Al Farabi, we heard from previous testimony that the uh, organizers were looking at blocking hotel blocks for a significant period of time. There has been some suggestion both from the OPP commissioner and less so from the RCMP that, that there were intelligence reports saying this was big and it was going to be long. And yet we have the person on the ground who was in charge not seeming to know that.
1: And that's shocking it really is because it would what a lot of stakeholders police and otherwise have known going in or at least heard the reports and it's like if if you're saying that you you don't at this particular point it's it's there's obviously a total breakdown in communication leading in it's something that i believe was supposed to be fixed years ago as far as that uh, communication is concerned so so and that's the important thing about what this is right now is is that we're, we're we're learning how this all played out we're learning what went wrong and we and we need to learn from from all of this so so the idea of a premier not stepping forward to the, even the optics of that looks terrible it's like it's it's a lack of leadership it, It's 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 a guy basically saying it's not in my backyard Yet it is in his backyard. So some, something more should should happen. And, and everybody should at least have some sort of say coming forward in this.
0: Natasha, I'm going to uh, save your thoughts for uh, after the break, if you have any additional ones on this topic. But coming up after the break, we are going to move on to whether or not we should change the way we elect our municipal officials. Turnout in Ontario this week was abysmal. We've also had uh, municipal elections in in B.C. and in Manitoba, and it just seems like people aren't that interested. So I've got an idea. We might talk term limits after the break. I'm Deb Hutton on the iHeartRadio Talk Network.
1: to free for all Fridays on the iHeartRadio Talk Network.
0: Welcome back. I'm your host, Deb Hutton. And just before the break, we were chatting a little bit about the Emergencies Act with my two guests, Al Therabee, morning show host on CFAX 1070 radio in Victoria, B.C., and Natasha Hall, co-host of Montreal Now on CJAD 800 in Montreal. I am going to give Natasha just a, a minute to uh, give her thoughts on former Ottawa Police Chief Peter Slowly's testimony this morning at the inquiry.
2: So listen, he's obviously largely being made the fall guy and perhaps rightly so. Right. He did. He had to resign in the midst of all the chaos. I found the testimony he was giving this morning to be absolutely riveting. But I think for all the wrong reasons, I I will admit. I was trying very hard to pay attention to what he was saying but instead I was watching his behavior right he got choked up there were dramatic pauses and then I was trying to gauge was this genuine or were these crocodile tears and there's no question I don't doubt that he has been hugely affected by this you know when, when something goes so terribly wrong on your watch for sure you're going to have many sleepless nights and and feel awful about it but I didn't I didn't quite believe him and that was very telling to me. So I'm going to be reading tonight. I'm going to see what the analysts are saying in terms of whether that was real or whether he's looking to somehow lessen uh, the fall and and you know being held accountable. Although again, there's no. We're not trying to, to you know really truly place blame here. We're truly just trying to do a better job next time around. But were those crocodile crocodile tears or, or were
0: they real? I don't know. I couldn't tell. I'd love to agree with you that there, there isn't blame trying to be placed, but I don't know. This feels like two full weeks of cover your butt to me at at the political level and at the policing level. But I do want to move on to the next topic, which is municipal elections. We've seen them in several provinces here in Ontario. Just on Monday, uh, Al, you had them in BC and voter turnout has been abysmal, particularly bad here. I, you know, because this is where I'm from in Ontario, we had really low, low, low turnouts in the 20s in many of our major cities. So the question I've got is, how do we turn it around? Is there anything we can do? does it matter, I guess, is part of that question. But just get your thoughts on that, Al.
1: It's a head scratcher here in B.C. and here on Vancouver Island because we had massive mayor turnover. Several mayors lost their positions And yet we had, in a lot of areas, lower voter turnout here in Victoria. Like we were seeing in advance voting, we were seeing big, long lineups. And even on election day, we we said, well, that's a good sign. That means that that uh, that means, uh, you know, there'll, there'll be some change. Well, there was change. And then we looked at the stats afterwards and we realized this is for Victoria and for Saanich in particular locally, is that they were lower than four years ago. And we're still trying to figure out why that is, because there was an appetite for change, and obviously there was with the number of mayors, and we had like a completely new council here in Victoria that was acclaimed, all entirely different people. Yet the percentage of voters was lower. We we saw changes in uh, for mayors in Vancouver, in in Surrey, in Langford, which is just outside here in Victoria. We had a 30-year mayor go down in in an upset, 25 percent was the percentage of people that came out and voted. So I don't know. We're still trying to figure it out. I don't know what the answer is. I'm not sure if it's a term limit thing or or what we do, but something has to be analyzed as to why something like this happens. And I'm not quite sure what the answer is at this point.
0: Well, and unlike some places here, it sounds Al, like you had some contests that should have been interesting because some of our communities, I look at Ottawa, for example, when there was a, an open race, there was a contest, a, a legitimate contest, the numbers right. were slightly higher. Uh, but it sounds like that wasn't the experience in, in B.C. Natasha Hall, any thoughts as to what we could do or like, really does it matter?
2: Yeah, it does matter. In my opinion, it does matter. But um, I want to just firstly thank you both for making us look good, because I thought we were pretty bad here in Montreal. Our (laughs) average is about 37 percent. And we're always like 37. That's ridiculous. Um, Wow. Okay. so maybe it's not so bad here. But I think there's a fundamental lack of understanding how much municipal elections affect your own day-to-day life. So I think there's a, a, a need to connect with voters and then I think there's a need to inform potential voters about how the different levels of government work because, you know, municipal elections arguably most directly impact your day-to-day life, your garbage pickup, your your local roads, how smoothly, whatever service you might need to have running in your city and in your neighborhood, right? But I, I feel like Honestly, most people, or at least a lot of people, don't really get that. They just want to blame Justin Trudeau for everything, right? Even their their garbage, or the rats that are are eating on the garb, are eating the garbage that didn't get picked up. I think a lot of people don't know about the different levels and and how important uh, municipal politics are. I, f- I think it's viewed as small potatoes. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, for sure. One of the
1: things that I I was just gonna say. One of the things that I I heard was uh, that there's so many candidates, so many names on there, and it's just like when people actually take the time to vote, it's just like, well, I know I know five of them, sort of. I'm just going to vote for them. There was a little bit of that, and then you know we got into like school trustee lists, and like the the, it was an endless list of people to vote for. And and I know, and I'm not saying that that's the answers to have a smaller list, but that's one of the things that I heard that people were just well, I don't know who to vote for. There's too many.
2: But doesn't it often boil down to two or three main candidates? And it tends to be the higher profile ones, the one, the names that people know and or the people who've been around forever. Like I was looking at uh, Sarnia, Mike Bradley got his 11th term, and I was thinking about Hazel McCallion, right, in Mississauga, who was there for, I don't know how many terms, I think 12 terms, 36 years. So there's a familiarity there. And, and I actually think in some ways, you know, if we're talking about limiting terms, I think familiarity, might actually help because if you know the names if you're you know familiar with what they stand for and if they're if you think they're doing a good job or not i i I don't know my my gut tells me you would be more invested but i mean the numbers seem to be proving us otherwise don't they
1: yeah, municipal well, politics. I I've found in general is just it's uh, it's it's always a lower percentage of of people turning out, and, and it's it's a constant battle as to what to do. Is it online voting? Do we find a way to do that? It, it, do we do we have more opportunities for advanced voting because that's popular? Uh, things like that.
0: Yeah, I mean, one of the other things that has been talked about is actually allowing for and encouraging uh, partisan party politics at the municipal level, in particular in some of our big cities, so that there is more money, so that there's more advertising, there's more awareness, there's more organization. I put on the table, as I said, term limits, I think three, you're talking about a 30-year mayor unseated in, in BC, Al. I mean, we've got mayors here, the town of Milton, I think he's won 23. One or two, I can't remember how many elections. Amazing. He's well, well, well <laughs> over 30, uh, and was reelected. I mean, yes, it, it, it can be because you're comfortable. It can also be because you don't know anybody else's name. Yeah. So do term limits work? Do party politics at the municipal level work? Or should we be looking at uh, some sort of a higher level, higher threshold, so that when you are in a city like Toronto, you don't get 30 people running because it's super easy to put your name on the ballot? Thoughts on any of yeah. those, Natasha? Um, You know, my thoughts went immediately
2: to mandatory voting because I used to always think, well, that's the answer, just force everybody to vote, and then... Um, I got into a great conversation over a dinner party where they were saying, do you really want people who don't care and who aren't informed being forced to vote? You want people who are engaged and and, uh, and informed voting, right? So then I think, well, maybe an incentive, maybe like you get a little, a little tax break, even if it's five or 10 bucks, 20 bucks, if you do go out and vote. Um, I don't think there's any solving the number of people on the ballot. I think you need You know, you constantly want to have representation. You want to have people enthused about, you know, making a difference and and trying to have new names, new faces on the ballot. So I don't agree with that approach. Um, I don't know. I think maybe 20 buck bribe. Would that do it, guys?
1: (laughs) Oh, man. chance to win
0: a car. (laughs) Oh, that makes me uncomfortable. Just as as, uh, mandatory voting makes me uncomfortable because my view is if you don't have it in you... To exercise your democratic right, I don't want you having an input into who the mayor is or my local councillors. I'll also say, just as a last note here, and, and I'm going to say it without giving you an opportunity to comment, I called for the end of school boards this week, too, because I also think then that cleans up the municipal ballot. Not the reason I called for the end of it, but it would solve the problem <laughs> that you uh, <laughs> that you put on the table, Al Farabee. Coming up yeah. after the break, we are going to talk Elon Musk and Twitter. You're listening to Free For All Fridays. I'm Deb Hutton on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. And now more of Free For All Fridays on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back. I'm your host, Deb Hutton. You're listening to Free For All Fridays, where we spend an hour at the end of the week just talking a little bit more in depth about some of the big stories throughout our nation in the previous days uh, of this week. Joining me to do that this afternoon, Natasha Hall, co-host of Montreal Now on CJAD 800 in Montreal, and Al Theraby, morning show host on CFAX 1070 Radio in Victoria, B.C. So, at last, the Elon Musk Twitter deal is done. And he began his $44 billion acquisition by immediately firing a whole whack of the company's leadership and putting his stamp in that way on the country, on the company. What I want to talk about is where do we see his stamp going further in terms of the relevancy of Twitter, in terms of the partisanship, in terms of the censorship? Let's hear what uh, Republican Senator Ted Cruz had to say about that.
1: Look, I think Elon Musk's buying Twitter is one of the most significant developments for free speech in modern times. Big tech is the single greatest threat to free speech and to free and fair elections we have in America, and Twitter was brazen about it, about silencing and censoring conservatives.
0: So you may agree, disagree, and I I want Alan to tash it away on on that in particular, but I will say uh, since that comment was made and since Musk took over, Word that rapper Kanye West's Twitter profile, which had been suspended for posting the anti-Semitic remarks that uh, most of us are now familiar with, has actually appeared to be back up as of this morning and obviously a day after Elon Musk bought the company. So, Natasha, you're you're rolling your eyes. You're talking about Mm -hmm. it. So give me your thought. What does this actually mean for the platform itself?
2: Well, I mean, I guess that means Trump will be back soon, too. It means that it's all about money. Kanye West is there because, you know, because it's all about money. And I said earlier that Doug Ford bugs me, but you know who bugs me more? Elon Musk. I
0: mean, honestly. Wow, I've I think- hit all the good topics
2: for you, Natasha. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. I like it. <laughs> it's more fun to talk about the people who bug us. But I honestly think he's kind of scary. Um I I personally don't like any one person having that much money or or that much power, especially when I'm not convinced that he'll use it for good rather than evil. Now, I will say he lost me, not that he ever had me Elon Musk, but he lost me. You remember when he made all those remarks about everybody needing to have more kids and he said it in such a judgy way and I was like, "Dude, you're a billionaire. Like, don't don't you don't live like any of us. And I don't think you should be giving parenting advice, especially when you've got all the the resources available at your fingertips to, you know, send your kids to the best schools and raise them wearing, you know, Gucci loafers. Um, So I feel like he's totally and completely out of touch with the real average person's existence. And yet he has a whole lot to say about how he thinks we should be living. So when he says, you know, that Twitter will not become what was it that he said a free for all hellscape, uh, where you can say whatever you want without any consequences. I mean, That's pretty much exactly what it is. And if he's allowing Kanye back on there, um, that shows us the direction that it's headed in. And and what a way to start. He comes in and he immediately fires the two top execs, right? And and has them escorted out of the building. Um, Staff thinks that I think three quarters of people um, may be let go. So how's it going to become a a safer, happier place? The only thing I like about this is that edits will be allowed because I have tweeted a few
1: uh, not
0: so
2: great things that maybe I would (laughs) have...
1: I'm with you, you sh- on the edits. Okay, thank you, Al.
0: <laughs> so, Al, let's. I mean, I'm a conservative, and I will say that when I see censorship of the ilk that we saw, that seemed very partisan and very political, sort of turns me off. Now, that doesn't mean I, I'm with Ted Cruz and thinking that this is the best thing for free speech in the in the free world, but. Is it possible we can get a little more balance on this platform and maybe a little less censorship, or is that just a pipe dream? I
1: I, I just want to play a bit of wait and see as to, you know, what changes are in store. I mean, when the top brass gets ex, ex, escorted out of the building, that means change, but, but what is that change? And, like, you know, we're talking about, like, a, a couple of, Well-known people that we may or may not like that are either back on Twitter, or somebody like Donald Trump might be back on, or you know, or is he going to form his own some sort of social media? I don't know. But to me, it's just I think we just have to kind of wait and see how it plays out, and in the end, does it suit the user? Like, I mean, I I probably use Twitter for maybe very different reasons than somebody like a Ted Cruz and/or a Donald Trump or Kanye West would would use it for for example but but i'm just like one person but and and i am I'm, I'm not sort of the the person that would uh be somebody that would know what's relevant and what isn't if i was younger and in my 20s maybe but i'm not a person that's like is a tiktok user for example so so i think it's very relevant but maybe it's maybe it's past tense like it, these you are know, all sort of the things that play in my head
2: you know, the thing is, though, Al, it, like he doesn't care about you. They don't care about you. They don't care about me. They care about advertisers and multimillionaires that are going to help them make more and more money. That, that's and that's a good
1: point. Lives. It's a good point because it is is this whole exercise for somebody like Elon Musk just to, for investment purposes, and then he's going to resell it or, or it's going to go public again. Like, is that sort of really what this is all about? It's just, I'm going to get in, I'm going to make my money, and then I'm out.
0: Oh, he's going to help humanity. Wasn't that his direct quote? when he did sure. this. This is his this is his effort to help humanity through a social media platform. I just Natasha, I, I guess I you know, I don't like it because I don't like the wars that go on. And I think it get you get sucked into a big vortex and you can look up and spend an hour fighting with someone that you clearly may not respect and, and it just it seems just a waste of time for me. Do you However, do you do that? Do you engage on that level? I did I've it stopped. once. I did
2: it once. <laughs> right, that was uh, <laughs> and, What was that Exactly.
0: Like? Exactly. It was just like, oh, my God, why am I spending my time doing this? But I do think that as we turn away uh, from, and I'm talking to two radio hosts, but as we turn away sometimes from mainstream media in terms of traditional newspapers and even to a certain extent traditional evening news, lunchtime news, et cetera, it would be nice to feel like there was a, I'll call it nonpartisan, uh, non-ideological, platform that was relevant for the exchange of information. Am I looking for too much (laughs) from social media? <laughs> or maybe just too much from Elon Musk. I don't know. I mean Natasha. all of the
2: above, Deb, all of the above. I mean, I love it. I love that kind of pie in the sky. And I truly wish that's what it, and I think that's how we all went into social media. We were like, ooh, you know, cat videos and pictures of babies, and I get to tell people what you know I had for lunch and post pictures of and and there it, there was an innocence to it. That is so long gone. It really it just boils down to money and and influence right now, right? And 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 I wish that I wish it didn't exist anymore, to be honest. Although it's a great source of information, generally speaking, if you can trust the information that's on there. Do you know what I mean? It, it's yeah. gone. It's so twisted now, and so not at all. I mean, I, I guess out of the gate, it never had the greatest intentions. But it's far from from how it started.
1: It still has a tremendous promotional tool. Like, I mean, we, we use it as, as, uh, as media outlets to, to promote things that are on our our stations, for example, uh, personal anything like that still exists. But you're right. it's It's gone to so many different uses and some of them aren't great.
0: But let me we're ask we're you both. Ugly. If it wasn't Elon Musk and if the stated mm. sort of change was yeah. coming from someone else's mouth, would you feel more comfortable? That's such a good question. Well,
1: that that's is, why I'm playing a wait and see, hmm. just because I just want to see wh- where where is this going. What are the changes? So you know, like, and are they? I don't know what they'll be, but I, I'm. There's you know,
2: no wait and see with Elon <laughs> Musk. I don't think there's any. I mean, I think. He, right. I mean, we know, you know. What's that Oprah Winfrey thing? When someone shows you who they are, believe them. We know who he is. We know what we're in for. I don't think there's any wait and see. Um, but I, I mean, I, you've given me pause for thought. If it were somebody else, would I feel? way i feel would i be so suspicious would i have such a bad attitude towards it i don't know i don't know deb how do you what about you would you as a conservative because you're coming at it with a very different perspective than than i am would would you feel better about it if it were someone else
0: well i will feel better about it if it in fact seems to be much more i mean certainly free speech within the bounds of what's appropriate but less censorship more true free speech more true exchange of ideas blocking hatred and some of those things but not blocking from a partisan perspective i actually don't care if it's elon musk that does that i actually just think it would be nice to have a truly open uncensored platform but there is my pie in the sky idea for the day We're going to take a break coming up after we are going to do our lightning round and ask Natasha now a whole bunch of questions all at once. Free for all Fridays continues on the iHeartRadio Talk Network. Welcome back. I'm Deb Hutton, your host for Free for All Fridays, joining me this afternoon to talk a little bit more in depth about a number of the issues we've, we've all been talking about this week are Natasha Hall, co-host of Montreal Now on CJAD 800 in Montreal, and Al Therabee, morning show host on CFAX 1070 Radio in Victoria, BC. So uh this show is usually hosted by my friend Amanda Galbraith. She is off on maternity leave. Welcome to Baby Boy just over a week or so ago. Mm. But since I started hosting uh on... Friday's in the month of October and into November, I decided to do something a little bit different in the last round, which is what we call the lightning round. So for the next 15 minutes, we're just going to bounce through a whole bunch of topics that have been of interest, I think, to folks in the last few days. And Natasha, I'm going to start with you. Hockey Canada will not collect participants' fees for the 22-23 season. Of course, they got into trouble, we all know, for collecting fees and having these fees from parents, in many cases of young hockey players in Canada, and fundamentally, them into a settlement fund uh, in particular for victims of sexual assault. So is this a decent gesture? Is it just a, of course, you should be doing it. What's your take on not collecting fees this year? Oh, gee, thanks. So you're not going to take our money
2: and sneakily use it as a hush fund. Well, that's, that's reassuring, isn't it? Um, any gesture is welcome, but really the gesture I would like to see would be completely dismantling the entire organization from bottom to top it should just be gone start from scratch I'm glad everyone stepped down but but really why does hockey Canada still exist it just it shouldn't period
0: I gotta say I'm with you Natasha on that I mean we should never have to hear the words hockey Canada again topic number two Al this one to you so a study Hmm. of Canadians said that most Canadians in fact 62 percent buy candy for Halloween that they like 52 percent say they look at cost first but almost two-thirds and sometimes higher depending on the province that you're in say they buy candy that they like thoughts on that is this are you in one of those 62 percent
1: I always buy it for me is that selfish (laughs) so oh um, yes it would be the the answer to to that Uh, you you gotta I don't get a, a ton of kids and during the pandemic we had even less so you're you're stuck with stuff you i guess have to consume which is oh poor you (laughs) i know i know it's 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 one of those hardships you go through but yeah you have to consider that don't you so uh, that that would be me like how much do i end up eating in the end probably probably more than half is that terrible
0: so i can't understand this because i buy candy that i won't eat It's my own way to control my diet. No way. Because I'm one of these people who will buy, because I'm a planner, I'll buy early. And then by the time I get to Halloween, I have to buy more. Besides, my (laughs) kids have a whole bunch of stuff they don't like when they trick or treat. I got two girls. So I get to eat enough of their stuff that I do like. As it is, I don't need to buy more. So I buy the chips, the salty snacks, because I'm not a salty person. I'm a chocolate and sweet person. Topic I number three. <laughs> back to you, <laughs> Natasha. Right. We're going to go back to you. So okay. here's what our friend Kanye West, who we talked about a little bit earlier, said on October the 16th. Not that long ago.
1: The thing about it, me and Adidas, it's like I could literally say anti-Semitic and they can't drop me. I could say anti-Semitic things and Adidas can't drop me. Now what?
0: Well, now what? We know they can drop them. Is this a smart thing to do for Gap and Adidas? Is it too late? What's your thought on this, Natasha? It's the only thing that they could do. Thank goodness
2: they did it. Um, you know, he was given this platform because he makes a whole lot of people a whole lot of money. And honestly, I can say I, I did not think anything would change. I said this just a while ago. I was saying, you know, n- nothing's ever going to stop him because th- there's so much money involved. But now seeing what's happened with Skechers, too, he showed up right unannounced at their door this week looking for to get a deal, and and they were like, no, thank you, closed the door in his face. Maybe there's hope. And then honestly, maybe if he's not so busy trying to sell us sneakers or clothing or whatever it might be, Kanye will take the time to really once and for all address the serious mental health issues that he's obviously dealing with.
0: Natasha, you and I are being so positive today about so many issues. (laughs) (laughs) There's hope for some of these issues. All right. Topic number four, Al, here in Ontario, I mean, uh, certainly where where you guys are in BC and in Montreal, uh, housing is a huge issue. Here in Ontario, the government tackled it fairly comprehensively. Uh, They are are overriding some municipal rights. They are uh, requiring municipalities, for example, to uh, hit a target for new housing units. Uh, They have scoped environmental assessments, and they are, as I said, overriding some municipal authorities. They are calling for greater density and it being allowed and much easier from a regulatory perspective to get through. Thoughts on this? Goes too far, not far enough. It's the right thing to do in a housing
1: crisis. It's a very similar conversation we're having here in BC and uh, in, uh, in greater Victoria about uh, housing. And uh, there are some that uh, there's a missing middle housing initiative that's, that's causing great debate here as to, you know, how to move forward. Uh, The key to this is to move forward and to have a plan. And it sounds like that's, that's a plan. And it's just like, you know, why don't we uh, work together on, on, on trying to implement what some of those things are, but it's, it's a housing crisis. It just sounds like everybody's under a similar type of thing as far as what we, what we are looking at and what we need to do. And and I think the key is to have a plan and just move forward with that here in BC and in Victoria, we're still kind of waiting to see what to do. And I think the longer you wait, the worse it gets. And there's, you know, more Mm. people homeless and more tents that are out there and people that are living in them, et cetera. So, so I, I, without looking at all of what that is in Ontario, I would say a plan is, is, is a positive step forward.
0: Natasha, topic number five, uh, Halloween. I, I did a, a segment earlier this week on News Talk Today, the noon tattoo show that I was hosting, where I said Halloween costumes are fraught with landmines these days, <laughs> cultural appropriation, of course, being the most serious and, and the biggest of those topics. But another one caught my eye this week, the Quebec nursing uh, organization has come out to say, please don't wear the sexy nurse costume that we all see in in the Halloween stores and have for probably decades. Is it offensive to nurses? Is it something we shouldn't wear? I shouldn't wear it just because I shouldn't wear it, but beyond that, <laughs> is it offensive to nurses? Um, I
2: think if the nurses say it is, then it is. And and this made people so mad on our show this week. Um, I personally think wear what you want to wear, but be cognizant that it might be distasteful and even offensive to others. And 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 we evolve, right? Like you think back, no one used to think anything twice about where, well, not at no one, but we, you know, blackface was kind of accepted. You wanted to dress up as Diana Ross or, you know, we know what the prime minister did. That was somehow was, I don't know, We now we know better, we do better. We don't wear Indian headdresses, no geishas, as you said, we, we've got a higher sensitivity because we're cognizant of the effect it has on, on others. Now, on the whole, I'm generally okay with sexy costumes. You, you wanna, you know, get yourself all dolled up and go out and whatever, male or female, whatever, trans, whatever you wanna do, okay. You wanna be sexy, go fine, I'm fine with that. I'm not fine with nurses feeling objectified at a time that's been so tough from, for them. We spoke to someone from the Quebec nursing order and, and, you know, they've been so overworked, so underappreciated. And as as that nurse told me, you know, honestly still, sometimes getting their bums pinched by patients. So anything we can do to help that not happen, uh, I'm okay with no sexy nurse costumes this year.
0: Forever. All right, N- <laughs> Forever. <laughs> Natasha, um, I uh, I will say I got a lot of texts when I did this topic saying it's Halloween, lighted up. But yeah, it same, definitely same. is a controversial topic. I am sorry, we only had time for five uh, topics on our lightning round Uh, It has been a pleasure to host uh, the show this afternoon. Thanks so much, Al Theraby from uh, CFAX 1070 Radio and Natasha Hall from CJAD for joining me. I'm Deb Hutton. See you next week.